Uh, we're looking at Matthew 4, 18 to 23, and Matthew 19. So Matthew 4, 18 to 23, then Matthew 19. Let me read Matthew 4, 18 to 23 first. It says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, uh, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction among the people. Uh, we're going to look also at Matthew 19, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 19, sorry, 16 to 30. Matthew 19, 16 to 30. says this. Behold, a man came to him saying, Teacher, what deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, uh, if you would enter life keep the commandments. He said to them, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you'll be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who, can, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. Uh, what then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left a house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. All right, good afternoon, everybody. A couple of years ago, I was at a birthday party, and it was over in the uh, northern part of Sydney. And while I was there, we were talking, uh, as there was a bunch of younger fellas and um, their families and wives and children running around. And it came part of the conversation. I was having a really engaged and delightful conversation with these uh, two or three blokes when I asked one of them, I said, what do you do for a living? And this gentleman sort of looked at me and he said, oh, I do, you know, it might have been accounting or something like that. I work in the financial sector, la-di-da-di-da, and he told me a bit about that. And I said, oh, that's great. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a minister at a church. And he said, what? I said, I'm a minister at a church. And again, he had this look on his face like, huh? And he didn't know what to do. And it was like, you know, all of the, mu- it was like from a movie where all the music stops to a screech and everyone sort of turns. And that was kind of that awkward moment. This guy looks at me and then he followed it up with a question. He said, don't you want to get married? I said, I said mate, I already am married. And that, that sort of threw him for a bit of a curveball. 
And one of the other guys said, aren't you too young to be a minister? I said, no, 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 I'm not too young. And they began to ask me these questions like they didn't know what to do with it. And I always have that response when I share people with what I do. It's either somebody wants to be engaged or it just sort of, you get to the conversation, what do you do? Oh, I work training ministers at a Bible college. Oh, see ya. You know, and it's sort of that awkward moment of leaving. But I've discovered when I talk about Jesus, it can be equally awkward and ambiguous. You talk to people about Jesus and depending on their background and what they've heard, what they've read, how they've explored or whether or not they've explored, I've found there's a variety of genuine confusion about Jesus. Some people see Jesus kind of as this sort of the ancient original hipster, okay? That he was just kind of this Mr. Hey, whatever works for you kind of guy, okay? He probably had long hair according to this sort of view and he just sort of went with the flow. And man, whatever you, whatever was good for you, that's good for you. And that's kind of this sort of uh, wishy-washy kind of doesn't really stand for anything, but just kind of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Other people, maybe based on movies from the 1970s, think that Jesus is the modern-day, or the ancient, I should say, ancient fun police. Okay? Basically, this guy was always looking with the stink eye. Okay? And if you watch any of those 1970s kind of productions, he didn't walk, he sort of just glided. Okay? And it was like he had a ruler ready to go. And if he saw you having fun, that's kind of the perception that some people have about Jesus. Other people I discovered, even in my cancer experience, when they found out that I was a follower of Jesus and I was in ministry, they would say, oh, you are a Jesus follower. You're a Christian, right? And I'd say, yeah. And then they'd say, okay, I'm really sick or my friend's really sick. Can you pray and talk to your man you talk to your man and see if your man can help my man out. And you almost become the middleman at that point. But basically the view was, there is a guy, maybe Jesus, maybe help, maybe he can't, but for good luck purposes, can you have a word with him? And some people that think that's what Jesus is like. And still others possibly think, well, Jesus is just for those people who don't have their act together. Okay, so if you can't get a job or you're not educated or you're from this background, or there's some big distress you've had in a life, the, that Jesus, he's just a good crutch. And that's how some people view Jesus Christ. But the question, of course, for you and I is not talking about generalities and ambiguities. Who do you say that Jesus is? You see, this whole church, if you come tonight as a guest, I'm a guest as well. I hope you feel welcome. I certainly do. But churches exist not for a social club, not because a bunch of people said, you know what, we need to gather together because we, you know, there's a walking club that just, you know, went around the bay today and there's a bicycle club. We just want something that's containable for one hour a week, so we just want to get together. No, churches exist because they're all beating the same drum, and that drum is that Jesus is worth following. And this is what I'm going to speak about tonight. I was telling the folks this morning, I'm a one-trick pony. I teach uh, preaching at the college. I also teach Greek and a few other things. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what I'm teaching, my message still ends up always sounding the same. And that's because I'm just the delivery guy, right? I'm not here to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. I don't make Jesus connect with life as if I need to, he needs some favors from me. Jesus is relevant to life. It needs to be taken seriously. What I want us to do is to think for the next few minutes, 
on what we might learn about Jesus. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through, and we're going to look at just two verses from the Bible that we'll put up on the screen here in just a moment from Matthew's Gospel. And in these two or three verses, what we're going to find is that there is going to be an inherent claim that is built around Jesus. What does it mean uh, to follow Jesus? Then we're going to look at a cost, asking the question, what does Jesus ask of me? What is the cost of following Jesus? And then tonight, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I'm going to put before you a choice that you need to leave this place, you're choosing to do something with Jesus. Even if that is to leave here and say, look, I like the hippie Jesus that doesn't bug me and doesn't have anything to do with my life. I want us to leave here with a picture of what, who Jesus is and leave you to decide what you will do. So I'm just going to read two verses or three verses for us from Matthew chapter 13 and verses 44 to 46. Jesus, when asked about the kingdom of heaven, He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again. Then in joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let me pray and then we will jump into this. Our God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You speak through your word, the Bible, which speaks about your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as we listen and as we look at your word, that we would leave this place, not just being smarter sinners who know a little bit more history, but that you would use this word to impact our hearts. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. In the beginning part of Jesus' life, he would go around explaining to people what it was like to be part of God's kingdom. In Matthew's Gospel, the part of the Bible which I read to you, Jesus has given a series of teaching on what it's like to live under the ruling of God's kingship. When God comes again, and when Jesus returns, what will the kingdom look like? What is heaven designed to look like? And Jesus, in this particular parable, or these two stories, these illustrations, is going to give us an idea on our relationship with God and how we can be the people who enter into that kingdom. And so he begins by doing this, by telling two stories. Now, these are stories that aren't really familiar to us, but one of the things we do, even those of us who do speaking and teach from the Bible, we'll sometimes use an illustration. We will we'll tell a story, uh, we'll maybe read a poem, and it's designed to use a modern-day image to explain an ancient truth. Well, in Jesus' day, he uses a couple of these sort of illustrations from everyday life with those who have come to listen to him speak. And he does so by telling us, if you want to be part of God's kingdom and know what God's kingdom is like, he uses two illustrations. The first, he says, is he likens the kingdom of heaven to a man finding treasure hidden in a field. Now, this is a funny story in that we don't really hide stuff in fields. Now, we might, for a birthday party, you might do, you know, hide-and-seek hide and sort of stuff or treasure hunt, and you put a, a lolly in the tree, and you, you, you put a Mars bar under a rock, and that sort of thing. Well, in the Bible, that's not so much what's going on as far as uh, a treasure hunt per se, but here's what they would do. In the ancient world, people didn't use banks. They didn't trust banks. We're far more trusting with banks. Whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not sure. You'll have to decide. But in the ancient world, here's what they would do. Because they didn't have you know, their own personal safe, if they had something of very great value to them, 
often they would take that treasure and they would dig a hole and they would plant or place under the, in the earth their treasure. Okay, they would hide it. Now the goal would be you'd come back eventually and dig it up when you needed your treasure. But before banks, before secure places to put your goodies, this is one of the things that they would do. And so Jesus tells a story here of a man who goes out, and this is a great discovery. Okay, he goes out there, and it says that when he found the treasure, he hid it again, and he goes out, as we'll see, and comes back and takes the treasure. Now, the first time I read this, it's this image of this man out there, probably with a plow, working the field. Maybe he's doing some shoveling as a laborer, and dink, he hits something. Well, what is that? And then gets a bit of stuff here, and he discovers a treasure. The first time I read this, I thought, this guy's an absolute rat bag. He's found somebody else's treasure, and then he's doing the dishonest thing, you know, coming back to to pick up the treasure. What I discovered, however, is that this man is actually quite an honest man culturally, because in the Jewish law, if you were to find a treasure like that, it's kind of the ancient rule of, we say, finders, keepers uh, nowadays, but there was actually provision in the Jewish law if you found something provided that you didn't know whose it was and nobody claimed it, that you could keep it. So this man is probably actually a good man. There's a second reason why we can tell he's a good man is that he doesn't just run off with it there. He goes off and he gets money and he sells everything and he comes back so that he can buy the land. If he was a a genuine rat bag, he would have just taken it the first time, right? And just nicked off and never uh, turned up to work again. But no, what does he do? He goes away and he buys the field. Now, the fact that he buys the field... If you were the owner of the field and that was your treasure, what would you do? Before you sell it, you'd go, you'd, you might say, that's a good price, let me just get my treasure first. Okay? But evidently, there's no protest, the guy's happy to sell his land, so evidently the treasure didn't belong to him. But there's a point behind what this story is saying. This man finds this thing that has this immeasurable worth where he says, you know what, this is so good. It says here he's filled with joy. And in joy he goes out and he sells everything he has. Why? Because that thing, that treasure is exactly what he wants. He is happy to forgo everything else if only he can get the treasure. And this is what Jesus tells us. Now we'll see there's a meaning behind this story. But Jesus uses a second illustration from his day-to-day life. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. The first guy discovers the the immeasurable gift, this wonderful gift, accidentally. He's just out working the field. This second guy, however, this is his job. He's a merchant. What would merchants do? They would go out and they would search, 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 find a product that they wanted to sell and then they would mark it up 300% or whatever like they do nowadays. And then they put signs up, you know, going out of business sale. Now it's only 200%, you know, more expensive than it costs. But here's the thing. This merchant goes out, and as was their custom, they would find something to sell. And here, in this case, it's pearls. In the ancient world, pearls were what we'd consider nowadays to be the modern diamonds. They're very rare. They're very hard to find, particularly for a culture that didn't swim. So I don't know if you know this, but even in Australia, 100 years ago, people didn't go, they would go to the beach, but they didn't go to the beach to say, let's go, you know, body surfing. The sea was actually quite a fearful place. People didn't generally have a lot of comfort in waters. Certainly in Jesus' day, the sea was a place of mystery. 
And so what they would often do, when they would go out hunting for pearls and finding them in oysters, one of the things, it sounds kind of cruel, but they would take people and they would put weights on them and throw them overboard. Okay, and they might, you know, they'd obviously take a breath and be prepared and know what they were doing, but they would go down to the, the, the depths. You'd only have, I'm not sure how long to breathe, but as, as much you know, air in your lungs as you can keep. They would quickly rummage through the seafloor trying to find oysters, then they'd chop the ropes and come back up to the surface. But people would risk their lives for these pearls. Pearls are very hard to find. We read in ancient literature that Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt, had two favorite pearls that she would wear. There's one lady, uh, Caligula, who was a wicked Roman ruler, Caligula's wife. She had 30 pearls, it says uh, in Pliny's uh, book called Natural Histories. She had 30 of these things. It says she put them in her hair, had them in her ears, around her neck, and even had some on her shoes. And so I was telling people, she was the ancient Kim Kardashian, all right? So she had the bling back in the days. But people were astonished with the wealth. Why? Because she had 30 pearls. Nowadays... Even for people to find high-quality pearls, they often have to go through hundreds and hundreds and thousands of oysters to find the pearl that is actually valuable. And so Jesus will tell a story of this merchant, and he goes out and he's looking for fine pearls. And it says, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. He found exactly what he wanted. He found exactly what he's looking for. And what's his response? That is so valuable. Everything else I own, I'm getting rid of. Why? Because that's what I want right there. Now, why does Jesus tell us this story? Well, in this story, Jesus, it's part of a larger teaching where Jesus is talking about being part of God's family being part of God's kingdom. And being part of God's kingdom requires following Jesus. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that in this passage, we have a basic claim that's made. We're going to see that there's a cost involved and a choice that we need to decide. But first of all, here's the claim. I'm going to suggest this afternoon that Jesus is worth everything. Following Jesus is like finding treasure. It's like finding a pearl. For those of us in this room who have experienced it, we know the joy of what it's like to come to the one for whom you've been created for. You see, when you come to Jesus, you discover why exactly it is that you've been created. To live with joy, to experience forgiveness, to have peace with God, to have security. And this is the wonder of finding Jesus. You know, I've got a bit of a habit uh, that I do every night about 9 o'clock. I'm almost like a robot. I get up out of wherever I'm standing or sitting and I'll make my way to the fridge and I open up the fridge because I am a man with a very sweet tooth. And I open it up hoping to see Tim Tams, hoping to see anything chocolate flavoured. In fact, yesterday, I have to admit, just between us, my daughter went to a birthday party. I nicked all of her Maltesers last night. All right? But this is me, right? I go in and I look, I look in the fridge. I look in the fridge, but more often than not, there's nothing there. I drop the head. I go back to the couch. I'm, I'm there languishing, lamenting. My wife's consoling me. It's okay. You'll be fine. But 10 minutes later, what do I do? I get back up 
go to the fridge praying that manna from heaven has come down and I open it up and what do I find? Nothing. And I end up eating those polystyrene foam cracker things that my wife has that have zero taste, zero protein, zero value to humanity. Okay. But here's the thing. I think many of us live a bit like that. We've been created. You've been created to have joy. The guy in this, the first story, he's looking for the treasure. When he finds it, he's got joy. You've been created for joy. You've been created to live life to the full. I made this mistake before I became a Christian of thinking, you know what? Christianity is all about what you can't do. It's all about the fun police. It's all about God being cranky if you start laughing. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And this is the truth, though. Jesus is the one who has this value. And yet we keep coming back to the fridge thinking, I hope something better comes along. And to be honest, nothing will satisfy you. Get in a relationship. Relationships are good. Relationship cannot meet your deepest need. Only Jesus can. You get a career, you get a job, you get out of uni and hopefully get some money and get money. But guess what? There's always going to be somebody earning more money. And the house you want to buy, next year the price goes up and you can't afford it. And even if you get that house, in 10 years' time you'll want a different house, you'll want a different car, you'll want a different phone, and you keep going back to the fridge. None of these things can satisfy. Friends, Jesus and the kingdom that he is offering is the pearl. It's not one of many pearls. Jesus is not just a guru that you sort of follow him, other people follow that guy, somebody else follows this guy, you follow whatever works for you. Jesus very exclusively here is comparing his kingdom, his rule, being like a guy finding a treasure. And there is much joy. He's not one of many pearls, friends. Don't take Jesus and try and shape him to be who you want him to be. Jesus will not conform to us. He will not come and be a postscript, an addendum, an addition to our life. Jesus is the treasure. A relationship with him and security is what you need to be gunning for. And when you search for other things, it is only foolish and you're chasing after the winds. Friends, I don't want to be uh, too harsh or disrespectful. But when I was in hospital. And I saw people dying around me. I tell you, when it comes to the crunch and you've got to build your life on something, I looked at what people were trying to build their lives on. And some of the people came up to me and they were just saying, look, if you just have positive vibes, it'll be okay. They they would say things like, you know, you've just got to be courageous. You've got to kick cancer's butt. Here's the thing. I need more than just a cure. You know, I need something beyond the grave. I need a treasure that's not just going to fizzle out when I get to 70, 80, 90. One of the things that uh, my wife and I do, we've got some uh, elderly neighbours. About two years ago, our neighbours moved, and they've moved in a retirement village. Michael is 95, Italian, and Kate is 87, and German. And English is their common language, though Michael's English is pretty much limited to swear words. And... (laughs) I was telling some friends that uh, the problem with Michael's swear words, he doesn't use them correctly. And so I want to correct him on his swear. I never have. But I always, it just annoys me when he, he gets the words wrong. But here's the thing. I go and visit them. We had Michael's 95th birthday. We had him around last Sunday at our house. And Michael and Kate, these are dear people. But I have to be honest. 
their biggest concern is their bank account. The funny thing is, they have about $800,000 in the bank. And I know that because I've had to help them with Centrelink and other things. And recently they discovered they are no longer eligible for the pension. And this has really upset Michael. He's 95. And Michael wants his $140 a fortnight. So he came up with this great plan. Malcolm, why don't I move all of my money into your bank account? For a moment, I thought, that's a good idea, Michael. (laughs) But he's like, and then they'll give me the pension. He's 95. Every time I go around to Michael's house, all they want to do is talk about term deposits. I go around there, they won't even put the lights on because they want to save money. Save money for what? And seriously, we might look at that and say, well, that's a bit silly. But here's the thing. Some of us, maybe even in this room, we say we'd never do anything like that. But we do want the career that's going to pay the most money. We do want that new phone. We do want that new house. You've already begun placing all your treasure and all your value and all your success on a treasure that will not last. Now, there's nothing wrong with being fiscally responsible. There's nothing wrong with buying a new gadget or getting a car. But hear this. If that is the treasure that you're going after, you are going after the wrong thing. Jesus would say that he is worth everything. Jesus is worth everything. That is the claim of his teaching and the teaching of this text. Being a part of something greater, not just here and now, but beyond the grave. A good relationship with God, peace, joy. These things come because of Jesus. But secondly, in this passage, I also discover there is a cost involved. Both things involve a financial transaction. And I would suggest that not only is Jesus worth everything, we're going to see here that Jesus requires everything. Jesus requires everything. When you come to Jesus, you don't come to somebody who say, hey, what can you do for my life? If Jesus is who he claims to be consistently through the New Testament, he is worthy of our worship, he is worthy of our service, and we have nothing that we can do in the sense of we don't add something to Jesus' portfolio. But Jesus says, if I am who I am, you need to give up everything and come and follow me. Now, his demand here, you'll notice in these, the the two illustrations that he used, the first guy sold all and the second guy sold everything they had. Why? Because they viewed the treasure as the most important thing. Now, This message this morning, and even Jesus' teaching, it's not about money, though money can be a side avenue of it. Jesus today is not after your wallet per se. He's not saying, hey, oh, it's just one of those other church guys just wanting to get money from people. Listen, this is not about that. But what Jesus is saying is a price has to be paid. There needs to be a transaction that occurs. Now, fortunately for us, even in the songs that we sang earlier, Jesus paid it all. I don't, God doesn't need 50 bucks from me to make it. Okay, God will make it because he's always made it. But here's what he is asking. He's saying to us, this kingdom is so important that you need to prioritize that over everything else. Is that prioritizing over money? Yes. Is it surrendering your career to God? Yes. Is it saying, Jesus, I value that more than these other things? Yes. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Elsewhere, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, follow me. 
And he leaves people with choices. He's not going to force you to find the treasure. And even today, somebody might have invited you to church or maybe you've been coming to this church for a while or you go to a Bible study or you're in a group. I can talk and your friends can talk. We can tell you about the treasure. We can tell you about the pearl, but we can't make you take it. Okay? You're not born, by the way, owning the treasure. You're not born owning the pearl. You need to embrace it. And Jesus says that's going to require something from you. It means letting go of you as the center and prioritizing God and his will at the center. Now, here's the irony. When I was 15 years old, I became a Christian. I went, uh, I was the black sheep of my family. I've got three siblings, Debbie, Deidre, Dallas, Malcolm. Uh, So I always felt like I was the odd one out, even though I'm number three, not even the last one. But here's the thing. I grew up in a church where I thought I'm already on the team. But to be honest, I didn't have any time for Jesus, didn't care about Jesus. And I said to myself, you know what, this Jesus business, I know about it, I've heard a few Sunday school stories, but I'm going to live the good life because Christians are way too conservative, too boring. I'm going to live the good life. And then when I'm 90, on my deathbed, then come and talk to me about Jesus and we'll work it out. I had that view because I had this perception that life was actually better without God's involvement. But I've discovered the hard road of following Jesus. When you give your life over and you say, God, I'm giving it all to you and you surrender it, you discover life and joy like you've never known before. I'm not up here today to sell you anything. I'm here to tell you I found treasure. I found the pearl. I have joy in my life and security that I didn't know for the first 15 years of my life because I kept opening the fridge trying to find things that didn't last. And Jesus says, you want to follow me though? That means letting go of the things that you value and valuing me and my son Jesus above all else. Jesus is worth everything, but Jesus requires everything. He doesn't want you just on a Sunday. He doesn't want you just on Wednesday night Bible study or Easter and Christmas. If Jesus is who he says he is, then he requires everything from you. But the irony is when you give up your life for Jesus, you gain it. Mark chapter 8, verse 35 says, If you try to hang on your, onto your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. It's funny, in that story or the passage that was read for us before from Matthew, the disciples had a bit of a query. They had left everything to follow Jesus, and a rich young ruler is there, and he walks away from the pearl. He sees the treasure. Jesus says, this is what's going to require from you. He's not willing. He wants to keep opening the fridge and going after that which doesn't last. But Jesus says to the disciples, and the disciples say, hey, we've left everything. Jesus said, yeah, you get a hundredfold both in this life and the life to come. And this is one of the things when Gav asked me, I didn't know the questions Gav was going to ask me, particularly the Bulldogs one. But here's the thing. When Gav asked me the question, what is some of the benefits? That's just one of the benefits. Is that I get a hundredfold family. I love my family. I've got a good family. But now I've got brothers and sisters who I pray with and sing songs with in Kathmandu, and it is a joy. I go to Jordan or to Israel or, or to Beirut or South America, and I meet there, and there's joy in people's faces. Why? They found the pearl. They know where the treasure is. They've embraced it. And because of that, there is that joy. But it's required something from them, a cost, a willingness to say, God, I'm going to follow your plan rather than sticking to my plan. You'll notice, though, that not only is there a claim that Jesus 
is everything and worth everything. There's a cost that's made. Jesus requires everything. But there is also a choice that you need to make. And friends, the choice is, will you give Jesus everything? Because in the stories that were read for you, these historical accounts in Matthew's gospel, there's two different responses. First is the disciples. There was something compelling about Jesus that when he walked along, he saw them in their boats. This was their career. And the fact that they had boats, they were probably doing all right from their career. Family business. And Jesus says, I want you to come follow me. And there was something compelling that they said, that guy's the treasure. That guy's the pearl. And they left everything and followed him. But then there was a second response. And in that second response, a rich young ruler comes along and he says, Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus outlines it. It says, do these things, come follow me. And it says, the guy went away sad because he had a lot of wealth. He said, no, 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 I've got my own pearls, thank you very much. I've got my own treasure that I want to try and go after. Friends, the choice for you is, there's no middle ground here, right? You either have the treasure or you don't have the treasure. And so I want to put to you today that Jesus is worth everything. Jesus requires everything, but Jesus will not make you take the treasure. I cannot make you take the treasure. The interesting thing about this story that I find, one of the things that's interesting, the first guy, he's out there on the plow. We don't know if it's a plow, but chances are it was a plow. Uh, Maybe doing some digging, some laboring work. He discovers the truth. He discovers the treasure. He wasn't looking for it. You might be here tonight or even in a Bible study and you're exploring Christianity, I want to tell you today, you might not have come here for this, but tonight could be the day that you accept the treasure, that you find the forgiveness that you've been created for, that you find the joy that you've been longing for. It happened to a friend of mine named Vuti. Vuti is from Cambodia. And Vuti, uh, before he became, he's a Christian now, uh, works at a Bible college, but before he did that, He came from a different religious heritage and background, was from a very poor background, but wasn't happy with life, didn't have any peace, didn't know why he was created. But uh, one of the things, somebody came along and gave him a Bible. And they thought, oh, that's a nice thing to do. And Vuti looked at it, oh, you know, didn't know what to do with it, so he said, thank you. Vuti tells me that he then proceeded to use the Bible very helpfully in his life. You see, every day he would rip a page of the Bible out and he would roll his cigarettes. And he said the paper was actually perfect for smoking. Okay, so he was literally inhaling the word of God. Okay, it was, it was deeply embedded into him. But I don't know how much, of the, how much of the Bible that he smoked, but he used this, and eventually he decided he would read some. And it was through reading the portions of the Bible that he still had that Vuti came to discover the treasure that is Jesus. Vuti didn't know what he was looking for, but when he found the treasure, he rejoiced and now lives a great life of joy, even though he's still in an impoverished context. But he loves the Lord and he knows that treasure that can't be robbed and that he will continue to inherit beyond the grave. But then in the second story, there's a guy who is looking. And I would encourage you today, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus or you're just exploring it, there's a course coming up here. When is it, Gav? A couple of weeks? There's a sign-up. You can talk to Gav, anyone who, here at the church. Christianity Explored. This will just give you, it's a bit like the merchant. He's looking for the treasure. And you might want to explore what this Christianity is really all about. It's a, I'm sure it's a place where you can ask questions. 
You can explore. You can ask the difficult things. You can engage. You can read the Bible. But friends, whatever decision you make, if you decide to not pursue Jesus and not investigate Jesus, then at that point you've made a choice to go after your own treasure. The scriptures here put out a challenge to you and I. And they say there is one who is worthy of your everything. He's like treasure in a field. He's like the pearl of great price. What have you done with the pearl? Do you have the pearl? A few years ago, I remember hearing a story of a dad talking to his son, and one of the things he would do for his son, every week he'd take a jar, where his son had a jar of coins. And the dad, at the end of each week, would give him five cents, a bit of a cheapskate. Give him five cents, ten cents. One day the dad came home and he, he got the jar, or his son got the jar out. Friday afternoon, dad, I've been a good boy. Where's my money? Where's my little reward, bit of pocket money? Dad pulls out his wallet. No coins, nothing. Inside his wallet, however, he's got $50. And he says to his three-year-old son, son, you've been such a good boy. Here you go. Kid looks at the $50 note suspiciously. Where's my five cents? Dad said, no, no, no. Do, uh, try and work out the maths here, son. This is like a lot of five cents. And the kid said, I want my five cents. I don't want that. And the dad tried to explain mathematics to a three-year-old. No, if you times it by this and multiply it by that and take away the square root of 6,000 times pi. Okay, and he, he, he did all of this. But the kid, I want my five cents. Friends, God offers you himself, his kingdom. He is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price. Don't settle for five cents. Don't settle for a life chasing after to win a bigger, better car, a newer apartment. You struggle. You think the relationship, the holiday, all these things will bring satisfaction. These things are good, but these things are gifts from God. God is the treasure. The question is, what are you doing with his invitation? You might be here unintentional, intentional, but Jesus doesn't give us the comfortable position just to say he's just a nice guy who gives me a golden rule that I can ignore. No, he is the pearl. He is the great, uh, he is the great treasure that you are seeking. What have you done with him? What did I do? What should you do? You might be here this afternoon and say, Malcolm, that sounds great. How do I have the gift? Well, when I was 15, I went to this camp and I was there for all the wrong reasons. I went there to chase a girl, okay? And it's always the case, right? I remember she, that my wife, oh, my wife, uh, it wasn't my wife. Um, I remember getting an invitation to go to Bible uh, study and stuff like that. And I was 15, hard to get 15-year-old kids out of bed, let alone to church. I said, I'm not going to church. I, hate, I don't need this stuff. It's a crutch. But I decided after being convicted, well, maybe I need to check out at least a youth group. Started going to youth group and this girl asked me, she said, Malcolm, are you going to come to this Christian camp coming up? And I thought, I'm not going to no Geekorama Christian camp. And she says, yeah, it's on in two weeks, I'm going. I said, oh yeah, that camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a bit like Woody, I went along not expecting to discover the gift, but the guy got up there, he opened the Bible like I've done tonight, and he explained that there is a God who offers himself the great, the, 
The only thing better than the gift is the giver. And he pointed me to the giver, the one who gave his son Jesus to die on a cross and three days later to raise back to life to show that he had conquered not only sin, not only to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing and our brokenness in this world, but he'd even conquered death and so my hope was secure. And he said, if you would pray a prayer like this, that God would respond and forgive you and give you the joy that the man in the field discovered. He said, it's just a matter of asking. And I prayed a prayer, it was like this. I said, dear God, thank you for speaking to us about your son. Thank you for the forgiveness that I can have because of what he has done. I surrender my life, my dreams, my career, my relationships with you because you are more important. Please forgive me and grant me what my heart is looking for. Not magical words, not special words. I didn't have to say them in Latin. I didn't have to repeat them as if God didn't hear me the first time. I just cried out to God and he gave me the gift. You can leave here tonight having the gift if you don't already have it. Now, I know a bunch of you, I can see it from the joy in your faces, and even when we were singing earlier, you know the gift. You've got the treasure. Keep pointing people to the field. Keep pointing them to the Christ. Keep pointing them to what they are actually looking for. Because the world outside is very much broken. They're looking for answers, but what they're finding is not going to satisfy them. They've been created by God to enjoy life with God, but that only comes through Jesus. So keep sharing that message with others. I'm going to pray now and close in prayer. But as we do, I'm going to pray a prayer that you might want to pray privately in your own heart if you would like to receive that treasure. But let's all bow our heads as I talk to God. Dear God, I thank you for speaking to us about the pearl that is beyond value. Thank you that we can be forgiven and have a good standing with you because of what Jesus has done for us. I surrender my life, I surrender my dreams, my finances, my career, my aspirations to you because I believe that you are of more importance than me. Thank you for what Jesus has done. Please, Lord, grant me what my heart is desiring and looking for and help me this day to live under your kingly rule. For Jesus' sake, amen.